It is a true gift uh, that I get to stand right in this place in Bishop's spot. How many of you know? I, I don't know if you, re- maybe let me back up, let me back up. I don't know if you recognize what kind of church you're in. I, 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 I go to, I, you know, I have the privilege, the humbling responsibility to be in a lot of different places all throughout the world. I go to church a lot. I go to church more than Jesus sometimes. That's what it feels like. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to keep it 100. You people in this church are spoiled in this church right here. All right. I'm telling you this right now. All right. If you ever complain about this church, you might as well punch yourself in the throat, okay? Because this church, first off, you have this incredible worship. Come on, do you love this whole team, the choir, everyone? Amazing. And then you've got leadership and vision coming up everywhere. And I believe all of it's a great reflection of your amazing lead pastors. Come on, how many of you love Pastor JC, Pastor Kimberly? They are amazing, phenomenal leaders. And so I just so appreciate them. And you can't go to heaven, honestly, if you don't love Ben and Emily. Come on, do you love Pastor Ben, Pastor Emily? We love them. So more Emily than Ben, but still. Uh, it's so good, honestly, to be here. Um, I, I know that we're standing in such a key moment in the life of this church. And I feel a real prophetic edge on the, uh, on the message today. So I don't care if you're right here in Atlanta or you're in Germantown. I know that God is touching you wherever you're at. Come on, come and say, can I get a better amen? You know, I, uh, I, I, this isn't my first time here, but being that there's a lot of new friends in the room, let me tell you my story so you know where I'm coming from, all right? I grew up on the border of the United States and Mexico, and uh, if you've probably heard, you've probably heard of my city, but for all the wrong reasons. Nobody goes to my city, all right? Nobody. You don't vacation in my city. You go for two reasons. Number one, to visit family or to do something illegal. That's the only reason you're in my city. You heard about all the cartel wars, the drug trafficking and the human trafficking. Okay, those are all my cousins. <laughs> all right, so, so Christmas is fun or it's an episode of Narcos. There's never an in-between, all right? And so it wasn't long by the age of 12, I found myself uh, with a lust addiction, uh, a drug problem, and literally an anger issue. But I love to play basketball. Can any, anybody love to hoop in here? Anyone? And so I would go to this church that had a gym and they would try to get the students from the gym into the youth service. Well, I would never stay. I would dip and leave and find somewhere else to play. And the youth pastor got involved in my life. And he said, hey, do you want to go to church camp? And I said, is there going to be hot girls at this camp? And he said, well, we're going to go for Jesus. I said, you can go for Jesus. I'm going to get some phone numbers. I'm going to camp. What I didn't realize is on the first night of that camp, I got saved. I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I got, I got called into ministry all in one night. Game changing night for me. And so I came back. I went into corporate America. I became a missionary. I was a youth pastor. And the last 11 years of my life, I've dedicated to raising and releasing the next wave of influencers that are going to usher in a third grade awakening and a shaking, not just in America, but around the world. Anybody else got faith for this? And I'm just so humbled to serve an incredible vision called Missions Me. Our vision is very simple. It's to unite the global church for the salvation and transformation of nations. And if you remember, last year uh, I was here, I was telling you about what God was doing as we were storming towards Peru. We brought 10 thousand missionaries from 43 nations, 150 organizations to pound the ground in Peru. We strategically placed them throughout all the nation. And I, I mean, I wish I had time. I would show you the video, but it's too long. 
I wish I had time to tell you about the 47 fresh water wells, or we had a vision to deworm half a million kids from malnutrition, but God would flex his muscle and we dewormed 1 million kids from malnutrition. I wish I could tell you the stories behind the 1.7 million books we gave out. A million of those were Bibles or the 14 medical clinics in 12 different cities. The three logging boats we turned into medical triage centers. They went three different directions down the Amazon River and we watched as they were giving care and aid and treatment and at the same time blind eyes were opening up and deaf ears were popping open legs were growing out cancer was being removed on the authority of Jesus's name and blood I mean it was powerful or what about the 3,000 high schools we went into in five days preaching Jesus with an altar call I, I'm telling you it was it, it, it I, I'm wasting the time telling you this but I can tell you this in seven days we saw 1.1 million people reach face to face with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all on the same night, we had 15 stadiums full that were packed without a man or a band being advertised because we always say it's not about a man, it's about a mandate. And we are living in an era where people are laying down their logos, their labels, and their egos, and we're seeing the church rise to its place, its authority, and its God-given destiny to an entire city. And I believe Go Church is one of those storehouses that is going to release revival and signs and wonders and character and healing and blessing. Anybody else understand what kind of ground? This is dangerous ground you're in right now. I, I believe this with all my heart. And so I, I feel like I got a prophetic word for this house today. But we are standing and pivoting from Peru and we are going into L.A., I believe it's time for America. I'm not saying it's time for America because we're in an uh, election cycle. It's not time for America because things have hit the fan. It's time for America because we've aligned ourselves with God's master plan. And I believe when we stepped into 2020, we stepped into the greatest decade of harvest since the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe it's going to start in places people least expected. Why not Los Angeles? We are bringing 20,000 teams members from all over the world for seven days to display the most irrational display of love the city has ever seen. If you added up seven days, 20,000 people, that's a million man hours of service given to the city with intelligent outreach and the design. And then we're culminating in the Memorial Coliseum where the Olympics and the Rams play now. And I'm telling you, it's the largest stadium in LA. It's the largest stadium west of, uh, of Texas. It's the largest in California. And we believe that we're going to turn that stadium into a, uh, into a studio and we're going to grab all the top 100 social media influencers and we're going to have them live stream and Facebook live the preaching of the gospel, the calling on of salvation, the calling on of being delivered from all of your addictions and your problems. And it's going to be a larger viewing audience than most major networks combined because this is an era where the church is taking ground. We're not taking hits, we're giving them and we're releasing something fresh. Anybody else got faith for something? something like this. I'm so excited because from Germantown right here to Atlanta, we're bringing a team. Your church has aligned with this vision and we are going to storm LA together because I believe what's on Go Church needs to be on the front lines in Los Angeles. And what if God trusts us with a blueprint that we could take it from LA and we can come to Atlanta and we can go to Chicago and we can take Miami and we're going to win New York back. Anybody else believe that? So I'm so excited, but I got a fresh word. I really do. Now, I don't do quiet church. I'm too Hispanic for that, and I'm too saved for that, all right? 
I'm telling you, I love my Bible. I love the preaching of the word. I love God's house. I don't care who's got the mic. I don't care what they're preaching on. I'm hungry. I don't need it to make me hungry. I came in hungry. Are you with me? I, I believe, listen, I believe a dead church literally is a quiet church. And a quiet church is a dead church. And I don't believe go church needs to be renamed to stay church. It's actually go church because there's hunger in this church. Anybody else believe the same thing? So I need you to talk back to me or you're going to see this Mexican with a mic get really insecure and I'm going to throw it at myself. All right. So I need you to talk back to me. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. yes. Say, come on, somebody. Come on. Say, come on, somebody. I was at Bishop Jakes's church preaching and I literally had a woman literally yell at me, walk the dog, Bishop, walk it. I didn't know what to do. I honestly did not know what to do. So, but it was good, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that was an amen for her, right? Don't go quiet on me. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. All right. Are you ready for the word? Are you ready for the word? I believe you. All right. Turn on your Bible. Yes, turn it on. I know what generation we're in. Okay, turn it on. Turn on your Bible. If you open it, that's fine. If you turn it on, that's fine. The Bible says it's the Word of God that's living and active, not what it's written on or it shows up on. Are you following me? Uh, I, 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 I want to draw your attention to Matthew 14. We're going to begin breakfast in Matthew 14, and then we're going to chew down at Quesadilla in Mark chapter 6, okay? But we're going to nibble in Mark chapter six, because we're going to read from two different locations, but it really is the same encounter, two different locations, the same encounter. And I want you to grab something here in the, in, in the gospel of Mark, but we're going to begin in Matthew 14 because I find, although Matthew is very definitive, Mark has a way of keeping it supernaturally real. All right. And so I, I want you to get this. Now, let me preface it with this. Jesus has just finished feeding the 5,000. And he does something that would be unusual if we didn't know the rest of the story, but very intentional on his part. How many know God is very deliberate in the things that he does with your life? Nothing happens by fate, accident, or chance, right? It's choices, not chance, that determines your destiny. Are you with me? And so I, I believe that God has a reason behind everything. Let, let me just help some people out because maybe my assignment is to remind some but inform others that perhaps you need to, remind, be, need to understand that if God is doing nothing, he is doing nothing on purpose. And if he is doing something, he is doing something on on purpose. So whether he's doing nothing or he's doing something, he's doing it all on purpose. And so he makes them, watch this, makes them do this. Verse 22, Matthew 14. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. The, can I just say this? I, I, th th those words, the other side, say that with me, the other side. I really feel like this is the prophetic declaration. I could not escape these three words for your church. I mean it from here to Germantown. I believe that it's time for Go Church to literally go to the other side. Uh, let me say it to you like this. You can't bring everyone with you to the other side. No, you didn't hear me. I, I believe that many times it was interesting to me how I could find 15 people to go to the club with, but I couldn't find one person to go to church with. 
It's amazing to me how most people can find 25 people to go get high drunk with, but they can't find one person to pray them through. Friend, if that's your situation and that's your tea, you need to let God whittle down your crowd and let you and let him take you to the other side. I got news for the rest of the room. You can't take everything else, everything with you to the other side. No, no, you can't take all your failures all your fears, all your worries, all your doubt. And let me tell you, you can't take all your sex successes. You can't take all your wins and you can't take all your trophies because I've watched trophies turn to anchors real quick and people get stuck in a yesteryear outpouring and they're trying to recapture what God did in the 70s and the 80s and they're missing the fresh outpouring of the Holy Ghost now and they are not on the front lines anymore and I don't want to sacrifice what God is doing now chasing something when he's already done. I want what he's doing now. I, I, think, I think many of us were like, what's next? What's God doing next? It's not what he's doing next. It's what he's doing new. Are you following me? And so it's time to go to the other side. Look at verse 23. It says this. And when he had sent them to the, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when the evening came, he was alone there, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Where was the boat? It was in the middle of the sea in the middle. I want you to remember that now also. It says this in verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now right here is why I want to interject Mark chapter six. All right, Mark chapter six, because again, Mark adds something that Matthew does not. Mark chapter six and verse 48. This isn't, you have to get this. Mark chapter six in verse 48. Same moment, same location, same encounter. All right, watch this. Verse 48. Then he saw them. Jesus saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Watch this. And would have passed them by. Did you see that right there? You, you see that? That's in your Bible too, right? He would have passed them by. This is so un-American of Jesus. He's not a failure to render aid. He even notices that they're struggling, notices that they're fearful, notices they're not gaining ground as much and wasn't even planning on stopping to help. This does not preach good in America. Let's keep reading here. Go back to Matthew 14. Look at verse 26. It says that when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and saying, be of good cheer. It is I do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of of God. Let's pray for a moment, church. Holy Spirit, I ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ to be poured out on every heart. In fact, I speak to this atmosphere and I say that you are full of faith and you are full of hope and you are full of peace and you are full of joy and I come against every limit, every restriction, every barrier, every lie, every demonic harassment is broken right now in Jesus' name and I call every man and every woman into their season. I call them into their rhythm. I call them into their greatness. I call them into their identity. 
identity and I call them to the front lines of what you're doing in this hour that nobody's missing moments and nobody's missing doors and nobody's missing pieces. They're not coming in broken anymore. But God, you are longing for the days where you pour out your spirit and restore things to the better than they were before. And I ask that you begin to touch hearts, minds, bodies, every bit of our soul, God, and move us from a place of fear to a place of faith, from a place of frustration to a place of fervency, from a place, God, where we were broken to a place that we're whole. This morning, God, begin to loose us like arrows out of your bow in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone shout it. Amen. 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 I'm calling this message born for the storm. I, I believe it's time that we recognize I was born for giants. I was born for walls. I was born for opposition. I was built for problems. I've been chiseled by trials and I am born for storms. This is what I specialize in. Not because I went to school for it, not even because I have the right last name or the right money, but I'm a Christian. I love God. I know how to pray something down and I know how to pray something up. I know how to prophesy and I know how to cast out. I know how to declare and I know how to confess. I'm dangerous when I'm fast and I'm dangerous when I'm worshiping. I'm dangerous when I'm preaching and I'm dangerous when I'm sleeping because I'm born for storms. I believe that this is the hour we live in. And I believe that not only are we born for storms, but many times these storms don't always, we don't always recognize we're in the middle of one until we're in the middle of one. I remember one time my daughter, she came up to me. We, we hosted a, a conference called Voice of Healing out in Texas. And and I remember uh, my job was to MC and preach, but MC uh, definitely the, 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 the whole conference, both on the stage and what happens on TV. And we would stream this on one of the major Christian networks. And I remember I went to the founder one day. I said, hey, how, how many people does this reach? Like how far, like how many homes is it going to go into? He said, Chris, this is going to go into 700 million homes. That's a billion people on planet Earth. I said, okay, okay. Well, we were busy. It was a, a week-long conference. And my daughter, uh, Jasmine, uh, came up to me. Now you have to understand Jasmine's 11. Okay. Jasmine just turned 11, but she's 11 going on 40. All right. Uh, ben, ben has met her. I'm telling you, she is this through and through. Uh, I, the other day, my, my daughter came up to me and she literally said, dad, dad, I was watching phone. She's like, dad, dad. I said, yes, baby. She said, dad, how's your marriage? You guys good? We need to pray about anything. You and mom good. What's going on up? I'm like go over there with that. You don't even know how to spell marriage. And I, I remember, um, she came to me and uh, uh, in the middle of this conference, and she said, hey, um, she said, uh, I miss you, Dad. And I said, baby, I miss you, too. I said, you know what? Why don't you come with me and you be on TV with me tonight? And then you go and pray for people now. But listen, there's 700 million homes. There's a billion people that are going to be watching your little baby teeth. All right. And I need you to bring something prepared. She said, Dad, I'm ready. I said, you ready? She said that I'm ready. We get in the car. We're driving there. I said, Jazzy, now this is 700 million homes. There's a billion people that are going to be listening to you. And I need you to bring something strong. She said, Daddy, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I said, no problem. We get in the green room. I said, Jazzy. This is 700 million homes. This is a billion people. And I don't want to make you nervous, right? But I need you to bring something strong tonight. And she said, Daddy, I'm ready. I'm so ready. I was ready yesterday. That's how ready I am. I said, okay. So we get in the studio, right? I've got a producer, a director, two cameramen, right? And I, we're both mic'd up on our ex. And I remember I turned to her. They say 90 seconds. I said, now, Jasmine, 
This is 700 million homes. This is a billion people that are going to be hearing your voice. And don't you bring that weak trash up in here. And she said, Daddy, I'm ready. I said, okay. And they said 60 seconds. I said, now, Jasmine, this is 700 million homes, a billion people, and you better bring that A game that's strong. You're in Estrada, and this is what we do. And she said, Daddy, I'm ready. 30 seconds. Now, Jasmine. This is 700 million homes, okay? Billion, billion with a B, girl. They'll be watching your life, all right? I need you to preach strong. She said, Daddy, I'm ready. 15 seconds. I said, Jazz, you ready? She says, Dad, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't, do, I don't want to do this anymore. And then she starts crying. Daddy, please. Daddy, please. Don't make me do it. I don't want to do this anymore. Now, I'm the type of parent that if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it whether you like it or not. I'm not one of these little millennial parents that makes up like all these little trophies for everybody and gives a participation trophy with an excuse of why you couldn't get a W at the end of a season. There are no participation trophies in life. I'm telling you, you come to my house, it don't matter if I'm playing a matching game with my three-year-old or I'm playing basketball on the court with my 13-year-old, it don't matter. I plan on destroying you. I plan on dominating you. There are no free W's in the Estrada house because I ain't raising no soft kids to wonder at the end of their life why my job wasn't doing this and my wife, husband or wife wasn't doing this. I ain't raising no weak trash up in my house. I'll tell you this, you're going to get a W because a W means a W because you put in the hustle, you put in the grind, you put in the work, and you can enjoy a real W, not these fake W's we be giving out. Anyways. That's kind of paranoia. Daddy, please, please don't make me do it. I'm like, oh, no, you're you, you going to do it now. You're you going to do it now. So sure enough, they said, five, four, daddy, please, three. And I said, hey, everybody. I'm so glad you picked a great time to watch. I'll tell you that. Man, we're having a powerful time at this conference, and I've got somebody special with me. I've got my daughter, Jasmine. She's going to pray for y'all. Jasmine, hasn't conference been so good? And she goes, Oh my gosh, Dad, it's been so amazing. I can't believe all that God's done. I said, I know. Jazzy, there's some people who need a fresh touch from heaven. Why don't you pray for them? And she goes, okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, I command the peace of heaven. I said, wow, Jazz, I felt something on that. She said, me too, Dad. I felt someone totally got that. There's a good release on that one. I said, hey, thanks for watching. We'll see you guys tomorrow night. The cameras go off and Jasmine goes, I can't believe you made me do that. She didn't talk to me for two days. I don't care. Half the time, let's be honest, parents, half the time you don't know if you're helping them out or messing them up. And we're going to find out on Oprah. But what Jasmine was learning is what I've had to learn multiple times is that God, our loving father, would never put us in a situation to humiliate us or to sabotage us, but he will stretch you. And he will grow you. And he has every right to challenge you. He has every right to change you. And it's change and correction is not a sign of rejection. It's a sign of protection. Because the Bible says he corrects the ones that he loves. And I believe there's a pruning that's been happening. But there's been a root system that's been sourced. And there is fruit coming off the vine in this house. And I'm telling you, revival isn't on the way. It's already here. And I believe transformation is already on the front lines. And go churches take ground. It's time to be born for storms. Are you following me? I want to give you three things real quick to understand this. Number one, walk where he walks. Walk exactly where he walks, where he tells you to walk. Walk where he walks. You know, many times in scripture, we read it in third person. The truth is many, much of the text could be even more unlocked to us if we read it in first person. Because if we read it in first person, 
We will read it as a personal experience. What you have to do is read this text right here, Matthew 14, Mark 6. You have to read this as if you were Peter. Understand where Peter's at, all right? Peter is not Apostle Peter yet. He's like barely disciple Peter. He's still fisherman Peter. Are you following me? And so he, Jesus comes to him and and, and, and remember that Jesus comes to him on the water and, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come. Now, Peter gets out of the boat, walks on the water. This is such a message to Peter. Remember, first person, because Peter's a fisherman. Fishermen always looked at the water as an enemy because the enemy determined whether they caught a good catch of fish, which determined if they could feed their family, if they could actually make a business out of it, if they could actually grow their business. And so they were always at war with the water, with their enemy. But then Peter doesn't see Jesus to find science, physics, and gravity. What does he see? He sees Jesus walking all over his enemy. Wow. I'm glad that Jesus walked on the water, but I'm also glad that Peter walked too, because Peter got to feel what it was like, got to familiarize his spirit, got to know, had a working knowledge, had firsthand encounter of what it's like to walk all over his enemies. See, I'm here to tell you that there are people in all over this room who have a shout already inside of them because they know what it's like to beat divorce, to beat cancer, to beat lies, to beat addictions, to beat brokenness. They know what it's like to be sick in woman and completely healed in the next. They know what it's like to be discouraged here and full of faith here. Is there anyone else in this room who knows what it's like to cry yourself to sleep but still have strength in the morning to wipe them tears off your face and keep moving forward? I know I'm not alone in this church. I know there are veterans in this church. I know there's battle scars. I know there's limps. I know there's marks, but God has been walking with you and pushing you to a place where he says, continue to walk all over your enemies. You know, I, I think the Christian TMZ gets this wrong many times. They sit there and say, yeah, Peter walked in the water, but he drowned too. He didn't drown. That's not what it says in the text. That's not what it says. It didn't say he drowned. It says he began to sink. You know, if my haters were like, you drowned, yeah, you, Peter, you, you walked on water, but you drowned too. This is what I would say to them. Well, at least I was close enough to Jesus that all he had to do was reach down and pick me up. Where were you? You were still stuck in your opinions, in your comfort, in your issues, in your problems. You were not where he told you to walk. I'm here to tell you, I believe that there are people in this room that God is sending this message at this time because there's opportunities to go right and there's opportunities to go left. And I have learned that there is a faith that comes from facts and there is a faith that comes from presence. And I don't want faith, uh, fakes of faith. I, I literally want presence-driven faith. I believe that some of us are being tempted, if not distracted, by doing this or doing that. And God's saying, stay on the water. But I like the boat, stay on the water. But I like the shore, stay on the water. Don't get comfortable, don't get soft, don't get predictable. I need you to walk where he tells you to walk. Here's the second thing, if you're going to be born for the storm. Number two, number two, learn to live in the middle. Write this down. It's up there. Learn to live in the middle. You know, we don't like the middle. We, we don't like, we like starting because we're full of vision, excitement, enthusiasm, right? And we definitely love finishing because we love the sense of accomplishment or we just like the relief that thank God all of that is over. But we hate that middle. We do not like, the only thing we like the middle of is an Oreo. Okay, that's it. All right. We hate the middle. Why is that? I, I, I think 
You know, it's interesting when people describe their, their issues with the middle, they always come in and, and they always associate the middle with the problem. I'm in the middle of an issue. I'm in the middle of a storm. I'm in the middle of a trial. I'm in the middle of a wilderness. You know, I, I, I remember one time I was in the middle of something. I was in Guatemala. I was preaching at a pastor's conference. This was, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. And I, I remember I was sitting there and I was, I, I remember I watched the table begin to shake. And, and have you ever noticed something, but you try to act like you don't notice it? So you just, and, but it, then it gets more violent. So then it starts to shake even harder. So I, now I start getting, <laughs> right, doing this. Then it gets real strong, just like this. And I, I'm freaking out. I, I didn't know what was going on at the time. And so I, I didn't know what else to do. So I grabbed a banana. I don't know why Ben, I grabbed a banana, but your boy grabbed a banana. I thought if I hold this banana, that things will stop shaking. Well, now I'm shaking, right? I thought, well, let me, let me eat the banana, right? So then I try to eat the banana. This is a true story. I am that dumb. And so I, I remember, I thought, man, let me eat the banana. So I'm trying to eat the banana. The problem is, is I can't get the banana in my mouth and I got banana all over my face. So finally I'm freaking out as everything's shaking. I mean, the chandeliers are moving, the cabinets are clapping. And I finally said, hey, doesn't anyone else notice stuff is moving up in here? And the pastor looks back and goes, oh, Pastor Chris, it's not even a 5.0. We're good. Don't even worry about it. We're good. <laughs> Why was his response a lot different from my reaction? Because he had been through the middle of one before. See, what you need, come on, Germantown, what you need is middle people. You don't need people who know how to start and you want people who know how to finish, but the quality of people, the true people, you need some people that have been through some storms, who know what it stings like, who knows what it smells like, who knows the way in and the way out. You need middle people. And let me tell you something about middle people. Middle people are teachable. Middle people aren't cynical. Middle people aren't judgmental. They're definitely not religious. They would hate this church. I'll tell you that right now, because I sense that there's a bunch of middle people in this room who have been through some stuff and has watched God walk them on the water and they learned to live in the middle and they understood that me in the middle is me getting the best revelation and the greatest strength and I'm adding to the spiritual muscle and putting on the spiritual gains to be able to handle what he wants to put on my life. And where are the middle people at this morning that know what it's like to move forward, pass from things that were broken into things that are healed? You need middle people. Better learn to live in the middle. Let me, let me break this down. You know, I, I like, I, I love Matthew, uh, Matthew 14, but it, and I love verse 24. And the reason why is there's so much unlocked right here. In verse 24, it says, now the boat was in the middle of the storm, correct? It says the boat was in the middle of the storm. If you want to preach right, you want to get everything in your text a voice. In other words, if the water could talk, what would the water say? If the storm had a message, what would the storm say? I've heard this preached from every angle, and what I have never heard is if the boat could talk, what would the boat say? So we're going to have boat talks in here this morning. Not boat talks for all the fake plastic people. I'm talking about boat talks, okay? And so look at verse 24. It says, now the boat was in the middle. The boat, the boat. Notice what it does not say. It never says the disciples were in the middle of the storm. It says the boat. Here's what's interesting. Who made them get in this boat? Track it back to verse 22. And Jesus made them get in this boat. You, you, you see those kids? Made them, forced them to get in this boat. See, if I know Jesus like some of us know Jesus, Jesus went down to the dock 
And he looked at boats and he said, nope, too safe, too secure. Nope, nope, yes. And he probably found the one with all the holes. I'm talking about duct tape all over this thing. Come on, Georgia, right? Like I'm talking about the most janky, sketchiest, dodgiest boat that will barely go literally floating, let alone put 12 souls in it, right? And Jesus said, hey, hey, Pete, bring the boys, get in this boat. Peter's like a fisherman. He's like, um, Rabbi, listen, that's, that's not safe. Get in this boat. Get, get. And then he went big mama on, get in this boat. You get in this boat. Get in this, get in this boat right now. Get in this boat right now. Right? You ever seen your grandma do that to you? You have never seen such fear come into your heart. When she, and mine was yelling in Spanish, so I didn't know what she was saying because I don't know Spanish. Get that Whatever. Right? Jesus, Jesus said, it says Jesus made them get in this boat. I believe that there were probably people in this boat that said, we have to turn back. These are too, it's too much chop. There's too big, the waves are too big. We're going to die. No, we, we got to turn back. I'm sure if the boat could talk, the boat would have stepped in and said, um, excuse me. He told you to get in me. He put you in this boat, which means I am everything you need to go to the other side because that's exactly what he said I was going to do. I'm taking you to the other side. See, it's not an accident you're in the marriage you're in. It's not an accident you're in the job you're in or the school you're in or the lifestyle that God's calling you to or the projections or the visions or the dreams. Those are all the boats that are meant to take you to the other side. And I believe some people are focusing too much on the storm and more they need to put their attention more on what he puts you in. Here's the second thing. I love this. Verse 24. It says the boat was in the middle. Everybody say the middle. The middle. You know, the, the, the Bible gives us a geographical location. This is the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It is 13 miles long. It is eight miles wide. And they're crossing the width of it. They are in the what? No doubt there are probably people in this boat that say we have to turn back. We have to go back. What's interesting to me is that they're in the middle. I'm sure if there was talk like this, the boat would have spoke up and said, uh, excuse me, you're in the middle. And you want to go back, but it's going to take you the same amount of distance, the same amount of time, the same amount of effort, the same amount of prayer, the same amount of strategy as it is to go backwards, as it is to go forwards. Why would you trade your future for familiar? You're in the middle. See, what I've understood is middle people know that the middle part is the best part because that's where you grow and that's where you sustain and that's where you discover things about him and yourself that you know what you can bear and what you cannot bear. You didn't even know you had faith until you've been in a good fight. You didn't know you could take on a giant until you had some rocks, a slingshot, and realize the giant was holding your sword, not his. You didn't realize you could walk into a furnace and not catch on fire. The Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. You didn't realize you could get in a tomb and three days later, tell the stone to get out of my way because I've already been through the middle and it's time that we go to the other side. Are there any people who were born, who were built and who were chiseled for other things beyond what you're in right now? You can see the horizon. You can see the difference. Are you, are you staying with me? You know, I'm grateful we serve a God. He doesn't just see today. He sees tomorrow. He doesn't just see the corner. He sees around the corner. He doesn't just see the mountain. He sees over the mountain. This is what the middle teaches you. Now, if you remember, Jesus was in another storm. This is, this is one storm. We have a record of him being in two storms. Mark chapter four. Except this one, he's totally different. Remember, the Bible says that he's in the bottom of a boat. Do you remember this? He's asleep in the bottom of a boat. You know, I, I went on a cruise and... And they told me, they said, hey, Pastor Chris, do not stay on the top of the boat. Stay on the bottom. I said, why is that? They said, because the lower you are, the less you feel. 
I hope you're hearing me with spiritual hearing. The lower you are, the less you feel. See, I think our issue many times is that we're too busy trying to outgrind, outshine, stay on top of everybody. But the Bible says, humble yourself, lower yourself, be lowly of heart. If my people who will or call by my name will humble themselves and pray, humility is possessed in your souls. Humility equals promotion. If you learn to be low, you don't feel as much as your storm. But there are people who are trying to out-hustle, out-last, out-build, and they feel more of the storms in their life, and they're wondering why. Because the lower you are, the less you feel. I, I, I think it's interesting. Jesus gets out of that boat, and the Bible says he rebukes the storm. That word rebuke, that word rebuke is literally the Hebrew and the Greek word that they would reserve when they deal with the demonic. So Jesus, this is interesting. Here's point number three. All right. If we're going to be born for the storm, number three, answer the invitation. Jesus recognizes this is a demonic, unusual weather pattern. And the Bible says he rebukes it in Mark four. But in Mark six and Matthew 14, he's walking on the water. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus isn't the only one that walks on the water. See, I, you have to understand, I, I don't know about you, but I made up my mind when I got saved that whatever this book says, I believe it. Whether my circumstances dictate that or not is irrelevant. Whether I feel it or not, it doesn't matter. I believe it. Are, are you following? If it says that Jesus was dead and then life came back into him and he rose again, baby, he was dead and life came back into him. If it says that Jonah was in the belly of a whale, I believe he was in the belly of a whale. If it says water came out of a rock, baby, water came out the rock. Are, are you following me? If it says bread fell from, are you, are, literally, I believe in the literacy of the Bible. But it says, it's interesting. It says that Jesus told Peter, come. Just one word. See, some of us are waiting for another podcast. We're waiting for another message. We're waiting for somebody else to lay hands on us. Somebody anointed to prophesy over this. No, what you need is one word. You need one anointed, rightly timed, in-season, authoritative, God-ordained word to penetrate your heart. And you answer an invitation. I think many times the reason why we don't answer the invitation is because we're walking in storms we should be, or we're walking on storms we should be rebuking and we're rebuking storms we should be walking on. You say, what are the storms? What's the difference? You know, a storm that you rebuke means that they have unusual patterns. Have you ever had unusual patterns break out in your life? I remember one year in 2017, I was playing basketball. I went for a jump stop like this. And instead of me stopping, my knee went like this. And I, I tore my ACL in half. Two weeks later, my mother-in-law goes in the hospital, fighting for her life on her deathbed out of nowhere. Two weeks after that, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Carissa, would go into what would be one of four surgeries that year on her face. I'm telling you, it was like one thing after another thing, after another thing, after another thing. Anybody else know what it's like? This breaks, that goes wrong, didn't see that happen. Don't know if we have the money for that. Not sure how to handle this. It's just one thing. It's an all an unusual pattern. I remember I'm in California and I'm in a hotel room and I just feel it. And I'm just, I'm sick of it. And I just recognize this is a storm. I need to rebuke. This is an unusual weather pattern. And all of a sudden I just begin to shout, you will stop now in Jesus name. And you will not come near my family. I loose your hands off of me. I loose your hands off of my daughter. I break your power now. You do not belong in our life. And I'm telling you, it broke. Boom. Right there. Everything came back into alignment. Just like that. 
I'll never forget it. Why? Because it was an unusual pattern. That's a storm you can rebuke. But then, have you noticed people who can go through stuff and they don't lose their peace? See, you know you have authority over a storm you can walk through because you are going through stuff, but you're not losing your joy. You're not losing your faith. You're not losing fire. You're not, in fact, you're probably gaining more focus. You're hearing better. You're sensing you have an increased awareness of his presence. You can sense direction. You can see the leading of the Holy Spirit. Anyone else? This is a storm you have the ability to walk through. There are storms you rebuke and there are storms you walk through, but you must answer the invitation first. Would you stand up with me this morning? All these good looking people. I feel the presence of God Almighty in this room. I'm telling you, if this was a night service, this, this would be on right now. I sense, I sense a great pleasure of God in this house. I, I sense there's been a lot of sacrifice, but there's been a lot of yielding to the changes, to the building of where you've become and the momentum. And, and I said this, I might've said this earlier, but I definitely said this in the first service. I don't believe the name of this church is Stay Church. I believe it's Go Church. And I believe that's with prophetic reason. The truth is you can't go unless, honestly, unless you answer the invitation. Now, I don't know if you're in Germantown, watching online. I don't, I don't know if you're in this room right here in Georgia. But what I do know is you can't do anything in this life without him. You can exist, but you won't have meaning. You can breathe, but you won't have purpose. You'll be frustrated, broken, looking for alternative forms of medicine when really what you needed was Jesus to become the Lord and Savior of your life. I'm not against doctors. I'm not against medicine. But man, I'm telling you, at the end of the day, there's one great physician and his name is Jesus. I believe some of you, you're getting healed right now as I'm speaking. Man, I wish I could lay hands. We start a fire tunnel right here. I'm telling you, I feel it. God's releasing it right now. If you need a miracle in your body, boom, just happened. But I also believe the greatest miracle is when people give their lives to Jesus. See, you can't face storms until you make him the Lord of your life. And I, 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 I truly believe that there's no better moment than this right now. You know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor Chris, you're speaking to me. I'm tired of the trash. I'm tired of the problems. I'm tired of the brokenness. I'm tired of the frustration. I want to be born for the storm. I'm answering the invitation today. I'm not letting my heart just tell me and trick me into, well, wait till you get home or wait for another time. I'm not going to let my emotions do the deciding. I'm going to let me answer the call of God deep inside of me in my spirit. And I want to give my life to a savior that died for me with no guarantees that he would ever get me. Yet I love him. I believe there are people in this room and in Germantown watching on and those that are watching online. You need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you raise your hand so I could see you? Jesus, look at these hands. Jesus, yes, sir. Yes, yes, yes. You can put those hands down. I want you to take that hand and put it on your heart because I truly believe this is a moment. Church, I want to pray, and I want us all to pray together. The first thing God said was bad was that man should never be alone. We were never meant to do anything by ourselves. So I believe that we should pray together. And I want to tell my friends, there's nothing magical about this prayer. 
What's supernatural is the meaning behind your words in your heart. That when you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that you will not perish. Believe that he is Lord and you will have everlasting life. I want you to pray. And church, can we pray together? Let's pray with some strength and some volume and say, Jesus, I give you my life. Forgive me for sinning against you. I believe that you died for me, that you rose again, and you're alive today. I thank you that you are with me in every storm. I thank you that you are making me ready for the greatest season of my life. I thank you. You are good. I love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.